deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. This is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on the Cleveland Indians. Santana makes the catch! Ball game! The Indians have won the American League pennant! The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series! Now, Ryan Lewis and Dan Kadar. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Dan Kadar of Ohio.com. Of course, Ryan is joining me. Ryan, how's it going? It's going great. Let's rage. Let's let us rage. The Indians are currently in the midst of a road series against the Toronto Blue Jays. They're they're about to get going here a little bit after we finish recording on a Tuesday. Then of course they got the road series in Kansas City. So the sustainable part of the schedule for the Indians in July continues before they really hit the wood chipper. Then they got Houston the Angels, the Rangers, and then it gets tough in August with the Twins, Red Sox, and Yankees. But we'll get all to all of that on another edition of Leading Off, Ryan, but that's setting the stage of, of this first topic we're going to talk about. In July, the Indians, of course, are white hot. They're 13-3 over that span. That is, not, that is not a pace that any team anywhere can probably keep up with. But can the Indians conceivably continue riding this momentum, or are they just playing terrible opponents right now? Uh, it's probably you know that that answer is probably somewhere in the middle, um, you know, of, of either end of that spectrum. Um, you know, they, unquestionably, you know, the lineup has has had more length than it has for for the first several months. Um, you know, specifically, uh, you know, a couple of guys in the outfield, Mercado. Um, has has just been and been really good after a, a slump that that he really struggled with. Uh, the Indians have continued to get some some contributions from some guys lower in the lineup. Tyler Naquin has seemingly found Oof. his swing for a short period of time. Um, you know, and, and all all of those things are going to help. Um, and and Jose Ramirez playing like you know circa 2017-18 Jose Ramirez is a huge boost to this offense. So those are all positive signs. And meanwhile, the the starting rotation has has at least. Uh, held its own as it, you know, continues to get closer to full health. Uh, you know, Corey Kluber is now throwing bullpen sessions. Um, Carlos Carrasco has also thrown a few. His situation is much more delicate, a little bit, um, you know, even more unclear than, than Kluber's in terms of the timeline. But, uh, you know, if if the lineup can continue to produce at the level that, that it has, yes, I mean, they could sustain at least a, a positive trend, not quite what they've been doing, of course. Um, but yeah, the, their schedule does kind of play into it. You know, that was you know that was one of the key factors as to why a lot of people thought that the Indians would be in the postseason this year is that the, the American League Central um, is not a murderer's row right now. And you know, the Indians in the second half of the season uh, have had and will have a very high number of games um, that, that they should be favored to win just about every night. And for, for a large portion of this season, the Indians were not taking care of business against, uh, you know, against those teams, against the White Sox, the Royals, and, and the Tigers. And, you know, that, that was one of the reasons why there was so much concern around this roster. That script has flipped kind of starting um, around, around the beginning or, or, or the middle of June. And since that point, the Indians have kind of been rolling. 
and yes, they've they've chopped off a huge amount of space between themselves and the twins. That being said, uh, you know the twins had a much harder schedule the last couple of weeks than than the Indians, and those two things are about to flip in August. So yes, the Indians have put themselves in in a position to either be buyers or at least not be sellers. Um, you know, as as we've talked about, as I wrote last week. You know, those two labels don't necessarily have to be 100% or 0%. There is some middle ground where the Indians can make a huge trade, a significant, uh, you know, alteration to the roster, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're buying or selling. It's just a continuation of the goals that they've had. Um, with, and with there being so many of them, it's a difficult balance to find between trying to, uh, you know, contend today, trying to reallocate some things around the roster, help the lineup, while also kind of moving their chess pieces in a way that they're still thinking about 2019, but they're also thinking about 2020 and 2021 and 2022, and doing that all all at once, uh, you know, with you know a clear a clear mandate to cut some payroll. That's a really difficult task uh, before Chris Antonetti uh, and Mike Chernoff, and they've they've done what they can so far. They, they there weren't very many moves in the winter, sort of to. Um, you know, align some possibilities for July, um, and so and so here we are. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, and they put themselves in the right position. Whether or not that continues in August will be really interesting to see. But if if the Indians can kind of stay where they are entering September, considering their schedule and the Twins' schedule, that would be a huge, you know, a huge pass. Um, you know, in terms of a, a a month that that could be a trying month. But if the Indians can get it into September, that would be a huge win for them just maintaining their spot right now. Right, because, you know, the, the Indians have 10 games left this season against the Twins. Six of them are in September, three on the road, three at home. So, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch how the Indians close out the month, obviously, but how they manage that middle part of the month, like I said, where they play at Minnesota, then Boston, then at New York, you know, in a in a three series span, there that's about as tough as you can ask for, really. But Ryan, I, I have some interesting, to me at least, stats that the Indians have compiled over this stretch here in July. Would you like to hear them? Let's do it. Okay. I, now, of course, I'm missing a ton. I just picked out some of my favorites here. You mentioned Tyler Naquin. I did not realize this, but in July. He is hitting 396. That's, you know, 0.004 below 400 for the month. That is incredible. And that's actually gone down the last four or five days. Yeah. It was like 447 at one point, just unheard of, like unconsciously hot for a while. Now here's here's the next one. Jose Ramirez is hitting 328 in July. I have an interesting addition to that real quick, but let me ask you this first about Jose Ramirez. Can we officially say he is out of this damn slump? Uh, to an extent. It, it, it's really hard to say with baseball because baseball is the sport where you're going to have ebbs and flows throughout the season. Uh, you know, Tito, uh, you know, one of, one of his mantras is that he hates the term uh, turning the corner mm. because just because you've kind of gotten over something doesn't mean that, A, it's going to come back, or B, something else won't pop up that being said um it looks like as low as jose ramirez went um 
there's no guarantee that he's going to stay where he is, but it does look like that lump that he was in has, to an extent, passed. So maybe we can, I'm not sure that we can raise his ceiling, but we can, you know, fans can probably expect to raise his floor in terms of his production because he has, you know, improved to a a great degree. So maybe just you can kind of X out his worst well, maybe not also expecting his best, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. And if anybody missed last night's Indians game on TV, I found this part fascinating about Jose Ramirez, and then it turned out to be most of the, the offense. They're all using these Rajai Davis bats. Um, and it, it, it's fascinating. Andre not did a really nice job on the TV broadcast detailing this, and Andre in general is phenomenal on television. Um, I, I love watching him, even even though he has a feud with mustard going on. But um, <laughs> yeah. they, he just had this great factoid about everybody started using these Rajai Davis model bats, and now everybody except like Lindor and Roberto Perez and one other guy are using these these bats. It was a great great little factoid to eat up an inning. But there, there is there is this interesting stat I want to bring up with Ramirez. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter because he's being productive. But in this month where he's hitting 328, his on-base percentage is 329. He's walked literally one time all month. I don't. It, it's better. What yeah. You want. Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what kind of what I was, I was with you before is that you know it's it's rare that a guy can completely just turn it around and never never look back and and also within that within a hot streak there are all there are often also some disconcerting signs or at least something that doesn't point to how everything is it is going well so he you know beginnings have talked about how he hasn't been able to keep ball balls fair for so long and now he has where he's had all these hard hit balls but a lot of them were were just going foul and if he you know, if if fair territory was counted 30 or 40 feet, uh, you know, to the to his right of first base, he'd be hitting like 390. Mm. Um, it, it's it's something where not everything always clicks at once. That's 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 a pretty interesting stat. But yeah, he's he's hitting better. Is he going to continue it like this? Who knows? Um, will he ever fall into a slump like he did for the last really the last like seven or eight months of baseball, going back to last August? Um, who knows about that either? But um, yeah, that's that's interesting. His his eye isn't isn't quite improved, but the bat is. So I guess I guess the Indians will will take what they can get right now. Mm-hmm. And the other one I wanted to bring up, just because it it lets me pat myself on the back. If anybody recalls, before the season, Ryan and I made predictions, and mine was Mike Clevenger would win the Cy Young Award. And unfortunately, the injury that he had has made that impossible. But in July. He has really been locked down, I think. He's he's three and one this month. His ERA is one eighty eight and he has thirty four strikeouts in twenty four innings. He's he has really, to me, kind of helped solidify the the starting rotation while you know, the Indians still wait, like you mentioned with Kluber and Carrasco, and while Bauer has kind of while pitching a ton of innings still not not been great. He's just been okay. And while the other guys kind of fluctuate up and down, Clevenger to me 
has has been the guy this month that has really spearheaded the starting rotation. Does your arm hurt from all the padding on the back? Well, I separated my shoulder, but we'll we'll get through. I imagine. It. Yeah. I imagine my pick of uh, so I picked Bauer actually to win the Cy Young. It looked great for two starts. He gave up one hit. Right. Um, since that point, it's probably not going to happen. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the other thing that we, we don't really need to get into too much this week. I, I, I think we're going to have a, a huge trade deadline podcast next week. But yes, you know, those are two huge variables with Kluber and Carrasco. And that if you if you expect them back at least just by October, you can go into a series with Kluber, Carrasco, Clevenger, and Bieber, the All Star Bieber, uh, before ever getting to Bauer. Um, so in, in terms of a trade shift it's, and how you want to position your pieces for October, that's. It's another interesting factor and, and two huge variables there that Indians will kind of have to figure out pretty pretty quickly. Hmm. Now this podcast this week is a little shorter, but Ryan, I want to I want to leave on this. Well, we have two things actually. I skipped past one. Uh, we'll we'll do the Indians playing on YouTube last, which they're doing tonight. Um, of course, people will probably hear this after the game, but um, the the latest in our ongoing series of baseball teams need to extend the netting at, at stadiums. Unfortunately, Francisco Lindor, a ball he hit, hit a three-year-old. Uh, according to reports, the child is doing fine, has been released from the hospital. Uh, so that is good, but you know, obviously during the game, <clears throat> Lindor was, looked pretty shaken after it happened. Then he kind of you know, got back to work there, but it's just another example of why this needs to happen. Uh, Lindor was pretty outspoken after the game, Ryan. The White Sox have, you know, extended theirs in a very quick period. Um, just another example, though, that this needs to be a thing that baseball does. You, you, you went on a, I don't want to call it a Twitter rant about it, but you, you had some the very good... consciousness? Yeah, you had some very good points, and you, you mentioned some stuff in your walk-off thoughts. Uh, after that game about it, what was the reaction you were getting, though? Was it agreeable, disagreeable, 50-50? What was it like? I think uh, the majority of the responses are in support of netting. Um, I just don't understand how you can see something like that happen and still have this... <sighs> trying to pick the right word. I don't know about if bravado is the right word, but a lot of... A lot of Tough guy Twitter folks and uh, in, in, in our responses saying, well, if he, if he can't get out of the way, don't sit there. Or I've never been hit by a ball and I'm fine. And a three-year-old kid, you know, it. and the, kind of the, the harrowing part of it was it, it was difficult to tell exactly what happened while watching it live from the press box. So we see the ball go into the crowd and it looked like someone may have been hit. You don't know if, where it hit them. Um, you're just from kind of not seeing the ball go anywhere. All we saw were the kid's parents scoop him up and just sprint up the steps. Eek. And that's all we knew for a while. That's all we heard for a while. Really, until we talked to Lindor for the most part, that's all we knew is that they scooped him up and sprinted to the paramedics. And that's just terrifying. And I, it's, it's gut-wrenching every time. It's awful. The players hate these situations. Um, Almora Jr. for the Cubs in tears on the field hugging an umpire in Houston because he hit a little kid. Completely shaken up about it. Lindor said that he needed to take a couple minutes. He said a prayer for the kid real quick before stepping into the box and kind of trying to refocus. 
um, for a column a couple weeks ago, Jake Bowers said the same thing. that A lot of players want it. Um, Jake Bowers mentioned Comerica Park in Detroit because they've, the, they've got the extended ending a little bit past the dugouts, and he loved it. Cause there were a few balls in that series uh, about a month or so ago that he said, hey, if someone's not paying attention, or even if they are, um, you shouldn't have to have a D1 scholarship just to sit along hmm. either foul line. And I, I just think a lot of the arguments against netting are invalid, and they don't carry a lot of weight, and there's holes in every single one of them. Um, and the worst one, I think, is to say, oh, well, if you put netting up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost attendance. You're going to lose attendance. And I don't see how making the game less inclusive for anyone who wants to sit close to the field, whether you have kids or you just don't have player-level re- you know, reflexes, and if you don't have a glove and blah, 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 that you just can't sit there instead of just having someone look through a net. Um, nets are see-through. They're not that hard to look through. Uh, the most expensive seat in the ballpark, behind home plate, behind netting. And I'm willing to bet that if someone was in the right field corner and someone said, hey, we'll, we'll move you to behind home plate for free, most people are going to say yes. They're not going to say no because it's behind the net. Um, so I, just, I don't know how many times this kind of has to happen. That's the part that kind of bothers me is there's a worry that something truly horrendous is going to have to happen before they make this announcement. And that's not what you want to do. The, the NHL put up netting behind uh, you know, each goal, and that happened after a fan died. And you, you don't want to wait until it happens. There have already been a couple of kids hit. Uh, thankfully, the Indians just released a statement that the three-year-old boy is doing well. Uh, he's been released from the hospital. Um, so thank goodness for that. I, I, I just don't think there are any counter-arguments or negatives that outweigh the pros of putting up netting. Um, and, I, I, and I hope that this is something that is league-wide starting in 2019. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that everyone's been safe thus far um, in terms of some incidents this season. Uh, and hopefully there are some changes on the way. I just don't think that you can avoid it anymore. Uh, balls are hit too hard. Uh, there's too much going on. It does not matter if people are on their cell phone or if they're not. Uh, it doesn't matter if they have kids or it shouldn't matter if they have kids in terms of where they sit. Uh, you know, so hopefully starting in 2019, some, some changes are made and uh, you know, we can kind of have some, some, some progress there in terms of fan safety because it should be the number one thing. Mm-hmm. I agree completely, of course, if anybody's listened to our podcasts here. Uh, we are pretty much in lockstep on the, on this issue, so we'll see. But the speed in which the White Sox were able to do it should be an indicator for every other team in baseball that it's not that big of a deal to get done. Last thing. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I do hope that people listen to that. I'm not arguing with the Dan. Just <laughs> <laughs> kind of arguing with, with some people on Twitter that still have kind of this, it's never happened to me, so why does it matter attitude? And I just don't, I don't see how you can kind of see things happen several times now and kind of just ignore that so yeah dan agrees we're not i'm not arguing with dan yeah um we argue about plenty of other things yes like gravy and much more important stuff right not this yeah this we we're 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 in lockstep like that well maybe there this is something we can argue a little bit about to close out the podcast and or we'll agree who knows um the indians game like i mentioned tonight against the blue jays is broadcasting only on youtube now Ryan, I know you cover every home game and stuff like that, and you go on the road a little bit, but um, I'm watching every game basically on television. So tonight's game is on YouTube only, and it's fascinating to me uh, 
at a time when people are cutting the cord probably at a faster rate than ever <clears throat> in recent memory and at a time when like on the Indians television broadcasts Matt Underwood is you know having to read this thing about how sling and dish are going to drop Indians games unless you tell them they need to keep them that that classic stupid television thing about you know places threatening your programming but uh tonight's game is on youtube that's basically all i know about it um but what is your your take on a game being available only on television you know on on your television device whatever you want via youtube of course you can listen to the great guys on radio if you want but to actually view the game you have to watch it on youtube what is your take on that well, it's interesting timing. Uh, personally, my wife and I are considering cutting the cord, mm. uh, and we've looked at some options. We were actually kind of looking at Sling, and then, you know, just like you, I saw, and I was talking with Al Pulaski about uh, the dangers of kind of what happens if, if, if they if Sling and DirecTV drop Fox Sports, and there's YouTube TV, which is another one. I know someone who just went to Hulu TV. Um, so it that is the trend, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing it. In terms of the broadcast, I think it's everybody wants a piece of the action. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. Everyone wants to draw viewers in. Um, for you know, a lot of people are going this route just because cable has become a little more expensive than some other options. And you know, everyone's everyone's just trying to find ways to bring in new customers. Um, trying to show people that like, hey, it's pretty good on this side of the fence. Um, I'm not really sure. I, I don't. You know. A, a lot of the ways that uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL have tried to kind of expand the game in different ways, find new ways to present the game. I, I think it's all fine. I'm, um, you know, someone, I think it was the Blue Jays broadcast a couple weeks ago. Someone mentioned, someone got his first career hit, and, and the kind of the, the, you know, the line was, if, if he gets his first career hit, but no one, but 20 people saw it, <laughs> does it count? Um I don't know. I I I just think it's it's a way to kind of get some more subscribers, a, a way to try to find new ways to you know bring in just as much of an audience as possible, which is fine. It's, it's I guess their right to do it if, if they want to pay it for the broadcast. Um, you know, I, I, I above all, I hope that people who want to see the game have access to the game on as much of a regular basis as possible. So if this happened all the time, I'm not sure, because a lot of people don't want to figure out YouTube or don't know how to stream with their devices, or they don't have devices that can be streamed if you don't have an updated TV. Uh, so hopefully, I, I would be a huge fan if this was happening all the time in terms of blocking people out, but other than that, I'm not really sure. It's just, it's I, it's business, and I guess it's going to happen. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't have a concrete stance on it, I guess. Yeah. Well, my, my feeling is that I wouldn't. I don't want it to become the only avenue in which to watch a game. However, I love that it's an option because, like, at seven o'clock tonight, it's going to be seventy-three degrees and sunny outside. I don't necessarily want to be sitting in the house watching television. Um, Good point. I want to go to the park after I eat dinner and go for a nice walk, and maybe plop down afterward and watch the Indians game on my phone on YouTube. Um, so from that aspect, I love it. From the aspect of 
like I mentioned before we started recording, Rick Manning on the bro- television broadcast shouting out old people having a birthday in Cuyahoga County. Those people aren't going to be watching on YouTube, most likely. And that, that kind of sucks. So um, I'm very for it. I love watching random NBA games on YouTube you know, late at night, like a random Sacramento Kings game at 10 o'clock at night. Um, but I, I certainly don't want it to be the only way in which people can take in viewing an Indians game. Um, so, right. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm fascinated by it, yeah. though. I think it's I think it's neat. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if they want to pay some extra money to have the rights to a broadcast here and there, I, I get it. Um, you know, that's that's not necessarily anything, like, that new. Um, you know, it's, it's new with the Indians, I guess. Uh, tonight, or well, Tuesday night, if you're listening to this afterward. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of. You know, not everybody has access to that. Not everybody really knows how to use that. And so it's just. I, I'd rather be a little more. Uh, just have it a little more readily available if this is going to happen on a regular basis. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Ryan, anything else this week before we get out of here? Nothing. Nothing. We'll have a big uh, trade deadline. All all the stuff that's going on next week. And uh, we don't have any ongoing bets. There was nothing to do there. So I think I think that's that's all for uh, the agenda tonight. Well, maybe we can come up with a nice bet if we can guess players we think the Indians could trade for correctly. If anybody missed last week's <laughs> podcast, Ryan and I each picked out a guy. We'll bring that up again next week as we talk more about what the heck the Indians are going to do by the trade deadline and what should they do, that kind of talk. So we'll do more of that next week on leading off with Ryan Lewis. But for now, you're just going to have to follow Ryan on Twitter. He's at ByRyanLewis. You can find all of our Indians coverage over at Ohio.com slash Indians. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next time.